Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Nobody seems to do last-minute wins quite like Manchester City, do they? What should have been a simple task at Schalke turned into something of a rescue job. But rescue it, City did, and now they have a lead to take into the second leg of the Champions League tie next month. And of course, the story isn't quite as simple as that. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we'll be the ones giving the VAR decisions and consulting the video replays. How did the technology do in City's trip to Germany, and were they dealt a rough hand? Our thoughts are coming soon. That's also not forgetting how Pep Guardiola's side navigated a tricky pitch to progress in the FA Cup at Newport and the fact that there's a cup final coming on Sunday as well. We'll have previews of that and the Premier League tie with West Ham too. Howard Hawkins talking about the look of the draw and we'll get your questions in Ask the Panel. So send them in for next week as well. Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or email through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. I'm David Mooney and I'm joined in the studio this week by two City fans, Richard Burns. Hello. And Kieran Murray. Hello. How are you doing both? Are you, uh, you both well? Uh, yeah, spectacularly well. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. I, I, nobody ever asks me that normally. I, I always do. I know you do. I was lying. No. Um, <laughs> th- there's only one place to start, really, with uh, with this week's news. Um, it's it's all about VAR and, and the red card at, uh, at Schalke. Um, an entertaining win has been shrouded by this discussion about about video technology. It was quite ridiculous in the way it unfolded, particularly the first incident, which I assume is the one that we'll, we'll spend most time on. Um, it's I don't know if I'd say shrouded, or I don't think it's taken anything away from the win. If anything, it's just added to the euphoria around the win. We had a, a bit of controversy go against us. Um, it's like a, a triumph over adversity type situation, but... I mean, there's so much to analyse in it that you could probably do a full podcast just on the first incident. Well, we're going to uh, try, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just to me, it just adds to the euphoria of the win that we we had to overcome something that was pretty ridiculous. So I'll tell you what, let's uh, let's clear up a few of the uh, a few of the VAR decisions. Then I'm delighted to say that we're joined uh, by former Premier League referee Mark Halsey for this part of the show. Mark, welcome to the program. Um, just to to kind of get your thoughts straight off on uh, on the VAR. Um, first question I want to ask more is about about the handball for the Nicholas Otamendi penalty. I mean, can you just talk us through the the handball law and and, and how it's been applied there? Yeah, yeah. Good evening, guys. Um, yeah, listen. Look, the the, the, hand, the handball law, Law Twelve, is uh, irrespective of where the hands are, doesn't necessarily mean an offence has been committed. Now, it has to be a deliberate act, a deliberate movement of the hand or arm to the ball. That's 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 law twelve in in with handling the ball. Now for me last night, I, I you know I was watching the game live and it didn't even occur to me that there was a deliberate handball. In my opinion, um, uh, it wasn't deliberate. 
I was going to say when it when it comes to to the law itself, it, that word deliberate is quite a, quite a tricky one. If you're if you're on the field as as uh, as a referee, how do you decide what is a deliberate action and what's not? Is, is there a deliberate movement of the of the arm hand towards the ball? Now, you know, you look at that last night. If, if that is a, if that is a deliberate um, handball, so if, if if a player is going to deliberately handle the ball, say take last night, if if um, He's, you know, he makes his arm stiff and makes it strong, and, and he's, he's moving that arm towards the ball. Where is that ball going to go if he's moving that arm towards the ball? It's not going to go behind him. It's either going to go off to the off to the right or straight back to where the ball's come from. And remember, the, the ball's kicked at distance, and you can you can see as, as a referee, you know, when that arm comes out and, and that deliberate movement. So. And, and, and to compound it, you know, Ottenini was cautioned. Um, and the, the thing for me, if, if I was, if I, if I were obviously refereeing that game, and obviously the VAR fouled because the monitor, the monitor wasn't working. So UEFA has said they want their referees, as the IFAB protocol, and it's appropriate for the, the, the on-field referee to make that final decision and view the monitor on subjective decisions. Now, as we saw last night, it wasn't working. So I asked. I, you know, I think there's there's an argument to say, well, if, if the referee cannot view the monitor, then why that why is the VAR in use through the game last night? Perhaps it shouldn't have been. Um, so, listen, you know, law, law 12 is there, handball. It's it's not a difficult law, um, and obviously, I would have been very disappointed getting back in my gesture and viewing that, and I would, I would have given the penalty without without viewing the monitor. Richard, there was there was a long time on the uh, between the decision being overturned, if you like, from when the referee gave a corner to when it uh, when it became a penalty. I mean, I, I know VARs in its in its early days. Is that acceptable? I am. Um, I don't have a huge problem with the idea of there being a delay to the game. I think it was one of the things that was thrown out um, as a criticism or. Um, a reason to not introduce VAR. I accept that if we want to use it and we want to get correct decisions, and there has to be some delay, there, there has to be. Um, I think the amount of time that was spent making that decision goes, or, or suggests to me, if you have to take was it two and a half minutes or longer, deciding if you've made the right decision in not giving a penalty, that says to me that it wasn't a clear and obvious error. And as I understand it, that's what it has to be to be able to overturn a decision. Um, so whether, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a lawmaker for good reason, but whether you could um, adjust the laws or as it sort of evolves and say, if within 30 seconds of viewing an incident, you can't make a decision or 45 seconds or whatever it was, then you can't overturn it because it can't have been clear and obvious. Or you go with a decision that was made on the field. Yeah, yeah, that um, that to me would seem a more sensible way than having than suspending play for an indefinite period of time. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Mark. Yeah, listen, I thought you took the words out right out of my mouth. You know, if it's taking that long, um, then it cannot be a clearing obvious error. It, it it cannot be. I mean, for me last night, Atwood took me all of you know every 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 decision, every every play is. is Silently checked by by the VAR, and I'll have been looking at that straight away, and I'll be moving the recommended um, a review for, for for the referee on that on that situation. You know, it's very subjective. Um, you know, we saw in the World Cup final where 
you know, the referee's not given a penalty, the VAR recommending review, and then I think under pressure he's gone and changed it and, and given the penalty. It was, it was not a deliberate handball in, in the World Cup final. So I, I think, um, you know, it, it's all down to the training education. The VAR is only as good as it's operative. So, you know, I, I really do still believe there's a lot of training education to, to, to be done. And remember, the, the, the IFAB protocol works within the framework of the laws of the game. So, you know, they need perhaps they need to brush up on their laws of the game on 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 law twelve because you know it it, it compounded the issue with with the caution of Otamendi and then obviously later on he was sent off for a second cautionable offence in my opinion harshly because I thought it was a careless challenge. You know, not every bit of contact, not every bit of foul, every foul is a cautionable offence. A careless challenge is a free kick only. Nothing else. A reckless challenge is a free kick and a yellow card and a a challenger in danger of player safety with excessive force and brutality has to be sanctioned with a red card. So I, I felt Man City were, were unlucky on with on, Otamendi on, 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 on two accounts last night, obviously, with, with the awarding of the penalty and um, the, 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 the sending off second yellow card. Kieran, I want to I want to ask about um, the way that VAR can be used because obviously we watch it in a in a TV environment. We see the TV replays where the, the pictures are often slowed down. That can that can distort an image, can't it? Absolutely. Um, Adamandi, in terms of what we saw uh, when it was slowed down, the thing that I took from it as a City fan was him moving his hand out of the way. So what you're saying, Mark, and what the the rules are, the deliberate movement of Law Twelve. De- deliberate movement of hand to the ball surely um, you would have seen him trying to move it as well in that split second uh, I saw a statistic today about Sané's free kick that was 1.05 seconds from ball being struck to going in the net so Otamendi was even closer than that so surely that's even less than, than one second um, yeah I, I, I but, really, you, but you watch that in slow motion you, you, you suddenly think you've got a lot more thinking time that's right and it's warped so yeah. surely it w- I don't know just how much you know about uh, about VAR and its like current operation, but do they watch it in real time and slow down? And is the final decision yeah. what, yeah, what it, to it, made it, on? Yes, it has to be has to be in, in real time. I mean, everything slowed down looks far worse, doesn't it? You know, challenges look far worse, and everything slowed down does look far far worse. And it has to be has to be viewed in 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 real time. It has to be viewed in real time. And I think that's in in the protocol. As well, I mean, but to, I mean, to fair play to the referee. I mean, I, I would imagine the referee in his shoes, I mean, being his shoes, wouldn't have won. Seeing seeing that back again would not have given a penalty. I think had he had he reviewed that, I'm pretty sure that the ref, on-field referee wouldn't have given a penalty. And to be fair to the referee, I thought he handled it quite well because obviously he then was informed that he cannot review the monitor, so he relayed that to the captains, and he had no choice. But to go with 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 the, the VAR, Mark. One final question on the uh, on the VAR, and uh, obviously about the the second penalty that was given. A lot of City fans were asking why the offside wasn't reviewed in the build up to that penalty being given. Can you can you shed any light on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously they they they, they felt that um, he's, he's not interfering. He's not interfering with play. He's not involved in active play, um, and there's not impact on the defender. But I mean, I think you know, looking at that, we got a. I think I think it's I think it's a clear penalty. I think. Fernandinho's been naive. I mean, he'd done it a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? At Newcastle, we give a silly penalty away, and he just seems to have that in his locker, and he needs to sort of, you know, get that out of his game, especially now with VAR in, in place in the knockout stages. And uh, listen, referee seen that, 
I mean, obviously the VAR slightly reviewed it, and it's not a clear and obvious error. So they they've gone gone with the referee. But I I think that one is there's no cards with, with with the second penalty that was given. Mark, thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Take care. Good evening. Mark Halsey, former Premier League referee. Um, just one other point on the on the decisions before we move on. Um, Otamendi, knowing that he's been booked, is he is he a stupid boy to go in like he did on the halfway line? Yeah, he's a dope. Um, I don't know how how many times it's going to take for Otamendi to sort of realise uh, the rules of the game. Um, we have always said he's been rash. Um, he's a little bit of an idiot when it comes to things like that, and. I, I've got a problem with the first booking. I don't think it should have been a booking at all. It's what we've just been over with with Mark. But it's um, not. It's not like if that was the second one, you'd go, "Well, that's unfortunate. You shouldn't yeah. get booked for that." But the, but knowing you're on a yellow card, yeah. Um, where was where was the lad going? Um, he was he was over by the. Uh, it's on the halfway line. On the, the halfway line, basically, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, so why he dove in so rashly there? I, I just really don't know. It was the autumn end of uh, of two three seasons ago, really, wasn't it? Kieran's right that cumulatively he shouldn't have been sent off because the first yellow card is it, it just shouldn't have been a yellow card. Um but it, it is just it's decision making that is not befitting of this team. And you look how our defenders play, obviously any player has always got a mistake in them, but you expect with our defenders your mistakes are gonna come more with making an error passing the ball out if it's gonna be anything, it's gonna be overplaying. But for a team that's been in such good form recently defensively, we've kept so many clean sheets, we've been back to early season form in that regard. For a central defender in a game like that, making a decision like that puts everything at risk. Because Schalke were, were always going to be delighted with the idea of a 2-1. And let's be honest, they probably would have been happy with a draw, even from a 2-1 lead. They would probably still have seen that as a good result on the night if it had ended up being 2-all. Uh, so for Otamendi, should I, a bit of in-game intelligence says, let's not put ourselves in a position where actually they might get the bit between themselves and be able to push for more goals. The very least for City, if they do go away with a 2-1 defeat, you bring in a team that you are significantly better than back to your own stadium and you've got an away goal. And it's just, I know that's a, a big thought or a lot of thoughts to expect him to have in a short space of time, but it is just that sort of in-game intelligence and constantly analysing your own situation and... Um, he did like you know I sort of don't buy into this often but he did generally let his teammates down there it was it was a rash decision that could have had a much wider impact I would just like to add something on to that um, because Otamendi got sent off company was brought on and company's now got some valuable minutes under his belt because he could well start on Sunday mm. against Chelsea he had an absolute stormer against Arsenal last year in the Carabao final Um in addition, Fernandinho got booked last night. And we'll miss the second and leg. And we'll miss the second leg, which is a disaster to some degree because we, we don't play as well without him. Mm-hmm. But our most overused player has now got a rest in a, in a very winnable game at home in the second leg. Some, so, some nice positive spin on, nice, two, yeah, uh, <laughs> on two cards last night. Yeah, or three. It's exactly like I was saying. Otamendi was thinking of the team and made a, <laughs> saw the big picture and made an excellent decision. <laughs> right, well, uh, Pep Guardiola was asked about the VAR decisions after the game. Here's what he had to say. It's penalty. VAR last season against Liverpool in a situation would have changed. So it's penalty. I, I am a big fan from VAR. So it's penalty, it's penalty. The second one is penalty too. And offside too. Now they leave complain about the VAR when maybe it's offside, but it's penalty. And the red card can be a red card. So the result is incredible good. Three goals away, so good. But we gave the first goal, we gave the second one, and we gave the red card. So in that level, we'll have chances. Still, we are not ready to fight for the Champions League. 
So, but uh, the result is good. Pep, I hear what you're saying about VAR, but did the amount of time it took to make the decision was was that a problem? I think it was four and a half minute delay. Improve. I, I think when when one new system starts, it's like a manager's. No, you arrive in a club, and the people expect in a few months you win uh, every game six zero. You know, and VAR appear here, so needs time. So they will improve. The referee told it's broken the the machine, the screen. Okay, next time will be better. But um, I support this initiative because at the end we try to be a fair football. And the decision sometimes the referees uh, they are not able to realize, and they must to be helped. And VAR is just the intention to be helped. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game with Schalke. I mean, it's interesting that he said um, that he didn't feel City were ready to win the Champions League. That's uh, or ready to progress in these sorts of games because of the the way that they're making daft decisions in various places. I, th- I thought that was quite an interesting point that he made. What do you make of that? I think that a lot of this is. Guardiola desperately trying to make City fall in love with the Champions League as well as just managing expectation. I mean, think back, going back sort of seven, eight years or so, Mancini used to do this. He used to say that the team weren't ready to win the league until we got to... um, We said it after the Newcastle game. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, It wasn't until we were really in the thick of a title race that Mancini suddenly said yes, we'll win it. And do you know what I mean? It was when he suddenly felt that he really had to G his team up. And I think Guardiola does have a streak of that about him. So he said, um, and as it turned out, he was right. But when we were in the midst of his fantastic run at the start of his City career, those those 10 wins back to back, he was talking about how the team were surpassing expectations. They were playing above themselves. It was never going to last. He was looking forward to losing, to really test the metal, all that stuff. And I feel like this is just a bit of a, Maybe a watered-down version of that. I, I do think it's about managing expectation because we've not won it before. He can talk this season about winning the league because he's been there, he's done it, and he knows exactly what his team can do. He knows that by any measure, they are significantly better than every other team in this country apart from Liverpool. And on most weekends, we're a shade better than Liverpool as well. The Champions League's a little bit different. Although, Kieran, you take—I mean, you can kind of take his point. You look at uh, take the Schalke game out of out of uh, consideration. There, they've lost in the knockout stages under Guardiola to Monaco, Basel, and Liverpool twice. Yeah, and these—I mean, okay, the Liverpool games that there's 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 mitigating circumstances for Basel because it was a dead rubber. The two Liverpool games were they were intense games, which could have gone either way at, at kick off, and in the end, both went Liverpool's way. But ultimately. You know that that's that's four defeats there. Yeah, um, I th- I think we need to uh, learn to walk before we can run a little bit. I, I don't think we're um, seen as well. We're obviously not. We're uh, we're lottery winners, really, aren't we? And we're not part of this traditional elite. Um, there are two things that I worry about in terms of City being ready, as Pep was saying last night. I think firstly we're t- uh, very defensively naive. Um, didn't you tweet last night something like we've conceded twice in? Um, I, it wasn't me, but right. I, I got a lot of flack for tweeting the defeats. Thing. Oh, the defeat <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, classic um, Mooney. There, <laughs> there was something like um, we've conceded two in every, at least two in every knockout game under Guardiola, or something like that. Or maybe it was just one we haven't. Um, 
Actually, come to think of it, that's Monaco, they conceded three, and then away they conceded three. Uh, yeah. Last season, Basel, they didn't concede at, at, in Basel, if I'm right. I think they won 4-0. Mm. Um, the, the home leg, they conceded two, and then Liverpool, obviously, 3-0 three, three and 2-1. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of goals going on. And even right. last night, I mean, we've been over it with the with the VAR and the penalty decisions, um, but even last night, that, that naivety. And I mean, in up. fairness to Guardiola as well, he accepts both. He thought both were penalties. Yeah, I, I wonder was that uh, Guardiola being Guardiola where he sort of um, he might have said something different it, if they'd lost. That's it. Yeah, and he plays down things a little bit so it doesn't take the flak. But linking on to that, um, I think discipline is a problem. Um, we have had eight red cards since 2011-12 when we joined the Champions League and qualified for the first time, uh, including two in one game at a point. Uh, I, I don't know why uh, you wouldn't be drilling that into the players. Just be, um, European referees are just a whole different kettle of fish. Um, so so be on your best behaviour out there. No rash tackles, no silly decisions. Um, and I worry about those two things. I worry about our defence and I worry about our discipline. And can we compete on the main stage through that? I don't know. It'll have to improve, Richard. Yeah. Uh, when you when you look at uh, in terms of the game, though, I I felt for long spells in that game against Schalke, City weren't really at the races, and then all of a sudden they got that little spark they needed in in Leroy Sane coming on and changing the game for the last what was it fifteen minutes he was on. He I, I, how how inspiring should City take this comeback to be? Because City have had other comebacks in the Champions League. Uh, I think it's pretty huge because it's it's the it's the whole situation. It's being down to ten men. It's the fact that, rightly or wrongly, City would have felt aggrieved by being behind the way that they went behind, um, even if not by the decisions themselves, the nature of the decisions. Um, because certainly, you would, you can make a very good argument that that first goal disrupted momentum sort of unnaturally. It wasn't anything Schalke did. That was a break in play. Probably even, probably just the pause, not necessarily yeah, that's, giving that's the penalty. What that's what I mean. That's what I mean. So the, the way that unfolded, I think, did disrupt City a little bit. Um, I think really the key thing for me is that we've got a monkey off our back now. In the in recent games when we've gone behind, Palace, we were winning, went behind, couldn't get it back. Leicester, we were winning, went behind, couldn't get it back. Newcastle, winning, went behind, mm. couldn't get it back. Even Chelsea, doesn't quite fit that pattern, but dominated the game, went behind, and then completely were dominated for the second half of that game. In this match, winning in complete control, um, to be quite honest, reason for complacency in that game because even our goal came from a bit of a Schalke shambles. Um, with 10 men, we came back and we did it with an absolute wonder goal. So we've proven again now that we've got somebody who can take a game by the scruff of the neck. And okay. change it. Just, yeah. just produce that moment of magic. Yeah, that that one moment is back. I think it was, was it Gaz a couple of weeks ago on here was talking about how we haven't really had that this season. Um, and Sané brought that right back. And then in stoppage time... Sterling once again with another last minute winner so that it's just like that big game mentality has come back a little bit and I think before the game you probably wouldn't have seen Schalke quite unfolding in that way but I think it could be I think it could be huge it's the spirit of QPR really isn't it mm. uh, that game last night it's just we've talked so much about the controversy of it and, and Pep's comments and things like that but what a spirited fight back the old we fight to the end spirit again and that game just had it had handbags and it had uh, pushes and shoves and it had uh, red card controversy, screamer goals, uh, adversity. Just uh, it had everything really, didn't it? I thought you were going to say handbags and glad rags. <laughs> then for some reason, I don't, I don't know why that sprung into my head. Um, 
Let's talk about Leroy Sano then, because uh, while Sterling was the one that, that got the winner, we've talked about Sterling a lot this season. He's, he became the player that you could rely on to get the last-minute goals, and lo and behold, he pops up again with another one. But Leroy Sane was the one I felt, or a lot of City fans felt, changed that game when he came on. He's He's been left out of the team in dribs and drabs recently, and then obviously gets, gets a game against Newport, and you know it, it just... That's another game that he just takes a, the tie by the scruff of the neck. He then sparks the fight back again against Schalke. There's, you really feel like he's on the cusp of another one of his great runs of form, don't you? Yeah, it's almost the, the bits between his teeth. And it seems like uh, Guardiola sort of sees him as the sort of, I don't know, the dog in the backyard on, on, the, on the rope, just ready to go and uh, holds him back and holds him back and holds him back and then lets him fire out the traps. Uh, and... Looking at the clock last night, I just knew on 75 minutes he'd be brought on because if you're Schalke, how would you feel about somebody who you know from that that academy coming on with, with your mind tiring having to defend this lead? And he'll have, Sane would have wanted to start. He'll have been, exactly, he'll have been yeah, reacting to that. So that's what I mean by Pep holding him back, knowing you know, he's, he's about to just run out of his cage. And, and so he did. Um I didn't really like how Keown seemed to take uh, take credit for for Sané scoring somehow because he'd earlier on said you wouldn't bet against him scoring and then he did. He's like, yeah, Martin Keown, thanks for that goal. Richard, you wouldn't you wouldn't um, stop him from taking any free kicks for a while, would you? Oh, he's nailed that technique, hasn't he? One hundred percent. There's a video doing the rounds today on Twitter that lays um, it sort of shows the start of the Schalke free kick, then follows the flight of the Hoffenheim free kick and then shows the Schalke one hitting the net again. It's the same goal. I mean, it's almost to the exact inch of the net from exactly as far out with the same goalkeeper movement. So what you're saying is a goalkeeping error because he should have spotted uh, 100%, that. 100%. He, he he, yeah. yeah, he's not done his research. <laughs> um, and there was, wasn't the one earlier in the season after the Hoffenheim one where he hit the bar. I either he flipped the, the top of the bar. Yeah, yeah. the game or, or two games later. It's an absolutely phenomenal technique. Um and it, it has shades, and I've said this before about Sané, and um, I'd, I've not got everyone on board yet, but I will do. It's another thing that puts me in mind of a young Ronaldo, where I know somebody who can hammer a free kick into the top corner is a very easy comparison to make to Ronaldo. There is so much in Sané's game about the way that he's developing physically, the way that he's maturing on the pitch, um, the way that he can grab a game by the scruff of the neck, the way that he's adapting the positions that he can play in, um, the way that he enjoys in a different way, but I think he enjoys that responsibility in being centre of attention in a slightly more yeah. modest way than Ronaldo. It's not about the fancy tricks and flicks and showing off his abs and all that, but he does enjoy having that responsibility, I think, um, and being able to p- ping free kicks into the top corner at will with a, a set and studied technique and practice to within an inch of its life technique uh, it's just another thing that that brings Ronaldo to mind for me of course Ronaldo only ever made it to second best player in the world and Sané could make it to number one <laughs> um, well we're on the the FA Cup because of uh, because of the, the uh, Sané spark in the uh, in the Newport game um, Kieran that that tie was a lot trickier than a lot of people made out really wasn't it yeah um, Newport were a credit to themselves, really, weren't they? Um, what was it, 55 minutes it took us to break them down? It was, and then, I mean, two goals in stoppage time. I actually felt I felt a bit sorry for them because while City dominated the game, I felt 4-1 was a bit harsh on them, you know? Yeah. Um, I, thought, I thought they'd done really well to 
to get to that point. Talking about t- uh, taking the game by the scruff of the neck, I thought it was uh, I thought it was Young Foden who did that, really, wasn't it? Um, just do you know on, on FIFA when you were fed up of losing, you just sat forward in your seat <laughs> with, with the controller, like right, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to do I'm this. Doing this. Now. Yeah, he's uh, won enough now. Yeah, I think that's what Foden sort of felt like he was doing. He just seen enough after they conceded, or sorry, after we conceded. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to come on to this, but the, the pitch didn't help, did it? Uh, well, let, let's talk about the pitch, because I, I, it's not the first time City have had a boggy pitch this season. Yeah, I almost wonder whether when things are made of the pitch before we get out there to play the game, it, it, it's almost it's almost putting the cart before the horse, if you get what I mean. Uh, it becomes the issue before we actually get out because I didn't think last night the, the Schalke pitch looked prote- particularly no it was, it was absolutely shocking yeah. not a thing was made of it That's until it, a few yeah. people ran on it and went oh god it's a bit wobbly isn't it yeah. so, so the, uh, the Newport <laughs> the Newport manager mentioning the pitch and you know how, how they were going to make that their kind of um, their chief weapon I suppose let's say um, yeah then something big was made of it it was shocking it was awful looking um, but at one point last night the, the ball properly Bobbled up and, and oh, was, was, what, what was it? David Pleat used to describe that time. It was like a like, like walking on custard or something right, like that. It was yeah. it, it just it, <laughs> it, it, it was like playing on custard. Yeah, uh, but the ball didn't particularly hold up too much or or stopping its tracks or anything. So um, we did well to navigate it. Um, with a change side, um, with with Foden, Mares coming in, who aren't getting. I, I didn't think Sani to be honest to sort of contradict what we're saying. I didn't think Sani had a particularly great first half, um, and then he just. I, I, sort of got fed up and blasted the ball broke your man's nose (laughs) (laughs) but home to his two new kids with a broken nose shouldn't laugh Uh, but yeah Uh, and then he fell over the uh, he fell over the signage as well didn't he I forgot about that he did most people like like most grounds they're painted on so he must have just thought oh it's painted on and ran into it it's just it's an optical illusion (laughs) of sorts wasn't it Um, but yeah no it was it was one of those games that you kind of roll your eyes at and just like I'm fed up of watching this now this sort of uh, slow paced nothing really much happening can we just get a breakthrough somewhere and then yeah one of our absolutely incredible players just uh, just seized seized the opportunity and went for it and then um, our young Phil shot up through as well well just on Phil Foden Richard um, we've talked a lot this season already about when's he going to get game time when's he getting minutes and Guardiola's been holding him back and holding him back and then letting him in a little bit and then holding him back and we're not really sure where he's where he's going to be in the team um, Brahim Diaz went to Real Madrid and is now a bit upset that he's not had much game time since he's moved away there. Is there a, an argument to say that, that Foden has actually, in, in this instance, made the right choice? Because moving away, as Jadon Sancho did, doesn't always guarantee you the time and, and, and minutes that you expect it will. No, of course it doesn't. I mean, Sancho is very much the exception, isn't he? Sancho's the player that we're going to look back and think, maybe we could have done more, or if we couldn't have done more, God, what a shame it is that he made that decision. There is no other player, I don't think, feel free to correct me if I'm forgetting somebody obvious, but there is no other player that's left our youth system that we will look back on and think we've made a, a real a real mistake there letting them go. Um, with Foden, they did everything reasonable to get him to stay. I think it plays into City's hands that he's a born and bred City fan um, because obviously he's... His heart is in staying in a in a slightly different way to Sancho's would be, and that is no criticism of Sancho, by the way. Um, but yeah, Foden's made the right decision for him, and it's proven to be the right decision. If if he wants to be a Manchester City player, his game or his natural talents are perfectly suited to the way that this City team play and the way that Pep Guardiola plays. So that means he's got the perfect coach for him, um, and he's learning from the perfect players. It also means, by nature of being 18 
and surrounded by world-class players who've been there and done it and won Premier Leagues and won every domestic cup um, and sometimes in multiple leagues and played at international level, it also means that you're going to have to bide your time for a little bit longer. It's a competitive league. You can't just be thrown in. And I wish it were different and but I would is, trust but, him. But he is being thrown in, in and he's scoring goals. Yeah, yeah. I would say you, you, in a title challenge, you are not just going to be thrown into games and it's that simple and the league cup and fa cup against lower league teams are always going to be seen as lower priority and where you can get away with blood in a player and he's in a he's in a weird bit of middle ground foden where he's too good to be seen now as being blooded in he's a legitimate member of the first team and he impresses every single time he plays but he is going to have to bide his time you would assume on signing that contract that he knew that to be the case nothing was going to change because he put his name on a dotted line and got a little bit more money so his situation remains his situation, but City have demonstrated the faith in him. He's a fantastically talented player. He will get chances, and that if he's patient, he I'm convinced he's going to be a huge, huge player in this team. That isn't some remarkable insight. I think everybody, <laughs> I think everybody who's seen that kid play five minutes would Feels would have a way, pretty yeah. similar view. But um, no, he's made the right decision for him. Sancho made the right decision for him, and in all other cases of young players leaving, they've pretty much been the right decision for all parties. Right, so it might have been a difficult match to watch for City fans when their side beat Newport in the FA Cup. Having been treated to years of free-flowing football, the team had a tricky afternoon on, let's face it, a terrible boggy pitch. John Chubb's been looking at how City have coped recently with dodgy playing surfaces. Even when they were still playing at Main Road, City fans have been treated to a great playing surface. While the football at times was dodgy, the pitch definitely wasn't. And after moving to the Etihad, things got even better. It's a far cry from years gone by, which current City boss Pep Guardiola remembers seeing on TV. I saw reviews and vintage games here in England, 16, 17, 18. All the games was, the pitches were, the big difference in football in the past right now is the pitches. So now most of them are perfect and that's why the, the football in England in many places you can play in different ways. Before it's normal to play the way they play, it couldn't be possible with the pitchers who were in that position play on the grass. There's to put long balls, channels, throw-ins, boxes. And after Saturday's win, Guardiola admitted playing at Rodney Parade was a tough ask for his players. If you want to play in the way you want to play with the grass today, it was difficult. Everything is one second slower, slower and that's why it's a little bit more difficult. The first 20 minutes we suffer because we need time to adapt. After that, I think we finish quite well the last 20, 25 minutes. And especially the second half, we make an incredible performance. City's Riyad Mahrez and Phil Foden told BT Sport after the match that they found the conditions difficult as well. Yeah, it wasn't easy to, to, play, uh, to play here, especially with the, the pitch. It's for both teams, but we know used to, to get this type of pitch. Did you find the conditions difficult as well? Yeah, the worst I've played in, to be honest, but yeah, we did well to play on it. Before that FA Cup tie, though, Guardiola told reporters that a poor playing surface was something his team had coped with before. It's what it is, so we accept that challenge. So we play in Premier League against Tottenham when three days before it was two NFL games. And was the pitch was, it happened in Premier League, why should not happen in a, in a team of lower division? 
so we had to accept it. That game at Spurs should have been played at the brand new White Hart Lane, but it was forced to move because the redeveloped stadium wasn't finished in time. Because Tottenham had already played a top-flight match at Wembley Stadium, Premier League rules said they couldn't use either Twickenham or Stadium MK and moved to White Hart Lane later in the same season. You're only allowed to use a maximum of two home stadiums in one league campaign. It meant the game had to go ahead at Wembley despite a clash with two NFL matches, or Spurs would have had to delay moving back to White Hart Lane until next August at the earliest. ESPN's Jonathan Smith wasn't amused. I think it's an absolute shambles. I think Spurs should take the bulk of the blame. The FA should take some blame as well. There's no reason why they couldn't find a venue for the game to go ahead on the Sunday. It's just hugely unfair on the fans. There's a perfectly good ground there, close by, at Arsenal. The reason that they can't play at three different venues is... What what sort of a rule is that? It's just, it's just a nonsensical rule. Why You should have one venue for the whole season, that should be it, and Spurs should have got, got something organised. He added that the playing surface would be badly affected by the cock-up. I don't know how bad the pitch will be, I'm sure. You know, Wembley's obviously one of the best pitches going, they don't play it that often. Um, it'll look a mess, presumably. Presumably they'll have that... Um, All the lines on it yeah, for the Yeah, tit- Titans, <laughs> Titans at one end and, and Leopards at the other end, whatever it is. <laughs> and, yeah, there's a reason you don't play sport on a pitch 24 hours before another sporting event. Jonathan was on the podcast the week after that match at Wembley as well. His view didn't change and he felt the performance from both teams suffered because of the pitch. We've seen pitches like that in the past but I just think football's moved on and, and the standard of players we have now, they're, just, they're so used to performing on perfect pitches. It was, it was just really poor and it just created a really dismal game for what should be you know, a fantastic t- team like City. Spurs, um, I really like Spurs. I think they're a fantastic side as well. It, sh- and it two, should have been a good game, it shouldn't should it? Have, it was also oh, two entertaining teams. It should have been an absolutely fantastic game and it was just absolutely ruined by the pitch. There was much more on the line in that Premier League encounter than the next time City played on a troublesome surface this season. It was back in January in the second leg of the League Cup semi-final where Pep Guardiola took his side to Burton Albion. The tie was over with the top-flight team leading 9-0 from the first meeting but that didn't make conditions at the Pirelli Stadium any easier. The pitch was so dangerous, slippery, and uh, it was dangerous. But uh, we, we, we make a good game. We miss a little bit the last pass, the finishing, but it's quite good. Did that, was that a factor by taking Aguero and De Bruyne off and relieved to get them off safely? No, no, we said just play 65 minutes, high intensity, and they, they did it. Once City have the trip to Swansea out of the way in the next round of the FA Cup, that should be it for dodgy pitches. The surface at the Liberty Stadium is normally pretty good, especially with it being a Premier League ground until very recently. But there's always the potential for some bad weather in South Wales. After that, any FA Cup tie City play will be at Wembley Stadium, while you'd expect the pitches in the Champions League to be of top quality too. They've had a raft of mud baths this season, perhaps more than they've had in the 10 campaigns before it. City fans certainly won't be looking forward to playing on a pitch like that again for some time. Hiya, this is Guillem Balaguer and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. 
This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. John Chubb looking back at some of City's dodgy pitches of the past. Now then, it's time to move on and it's time for this. One step That's One Step Beyond by Madness. City got into a bit of hot water about that song last week. Um, just for, I know we answered this on last week's show, but should they have done? No. It makes it funnier. The point of that is a little bit of fun for supporters, and it was funny. I enjoyed it. I knew it was coming. I enjoy it every time we beat Chelsea. They get to do it back to us. Imagine how much fun they'll have with it in the cup final if they beat us on Sunday. However, City should steal a march on that and nominate it as the cup final song. And then how annoyed would they be? I mean, it's 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 daft, isn't it? I mean, we're playing it here as a as a bit of a joke. On a more serious note, um, Kieran, how does that recent six nil win against Chelsea affect this cup final? Oh, I, I sorry, I was ready to say something a bit one step beyond. Oh, well, if, you, if you've still got stuff to say about what, if, if you still want to go for it, sorry. Uh, it was just really about uh, it was just really about work. This word class is coming into football so much at the moment, um, and I just think people are people are being really fussy about it. It's almost like um, football fans. It's the kind of people who agree with Piers Morgan when he says things like we're all snowflakes, but football fans have become their own sort of snowflakes now, getting offended over little things. Uh, like Raheem Sterling doing stepovers in the last minutes of the derby. I don't know where that came from. A lad against Newport put a 4-1 up in the crowd and suddenly he was called out for being classless. I, I don't know where... It's just people enjoying themselves, Exactly, yeah. yeah. When your team wins, I mean, you're surely you're allowed to celebrate and surely you're allowed to let your emotions take over a little bit. Um Obviously, there's a there's a, a paid member of staff who's pressing the button on the PA, PA system to play one step beyond, which maybe is where the uh, the accusations of City as a club being classless. Um, but it's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? It's not new either. Yeah, it's been, it's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, so then on, on to the game. Sorry, six um, 0 against against Chelsea a couple of weekends ago. Um, does that affect this game? I mean, in terms of of a, of a one off game at Wembley as a final, do, do do both clubs have that in 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 mind? Certainly, um, because it was such a, a thumping uh, two Sundays ago, I think it certainly will be in uh, in our minds and Chelsea's minds. Um, during the game, I remember, because I stand beside Gaz at the game, I remember saying um, this could have an effect on this could have an effect on this game in a big way, in, an, in a worrying way. Uh, and he said, no, but if our tails are up so much, um, you know, that could really get into uh, the psyche of, of Chelsea and, and sort of put, um, I don't know, rough them up a little bit, if you get me. Um the only thing I would say is that what's gone in between as well will have a, a big of effect on it. Um, they got dumped out of the cup by United. Uh, we've gone in the Champions League and had a, a really life-affirming win against Schalke. Um, they're currently playing against Malmo. Don't know how at, that's at the time of recording, we don't know what the we don't know what the score is. Yeah. So I mean, uh, and and all this stuff. Uh, I mean, is it too late now to sack Sarri? Uh, they uh, they could very easily. Depending on what's happening tonight, you know they could be in even more trouble with their uh, with their manager. So yeah, it's all a little bit up in the air. And I think f- from our from our six nil, um, and what's gone in between, yeah, it could be a, it could could have a big impact. Richard, when you look at what's going on at Chelsea at the moment, like Kieran said, they're in a really turbulent state in the last few weeks. Does that actually fill you with confidence, or does it fill you with that that knowing dread that a cup final win suddenly, you know, it it papers over a lot of those cracks, doesn't it? Um, I. 
personally don't think there's any papering over the cracks there at the moment. I think uh, even if they win the cup final, it'll be a fantastic result for them um, because they are underdogs for the game. Winning a cup is always um, is always you know it's a, a good feeling, um, and Chelsea certainly aren't, aren't above celebrating a league cup win. Um, but I don't think it would paper over the cracks. I think what we saw against United was that the fans have turned against Sarri in a big way. Um, there were the, the chants about Sarri ball where they were not very enamoured with it, <laughs> judging by the the, uh, the noise coming from the Matthew Harding stand there. Um, they boo the substitutions regularly. It's always so, Barkley so for Kovacic, Kovacic for Barkley. Yeah. So if City and, get an early goal on Sunday, it could turn? I think, yeah, I, I think if City score early... Um, it'd be hard to blow it because of where Chelsea's heads are at at the moment. Famous last words, I suppose, um, potential there. But the thing in City's favour here is, even more than Guardiola, we know what it's like to have a manager who won't change his style for anything. Sarri's even, even more entrenched in his style than Guardiola. He is deliberately playing players out of position. He's compromising some of... He's got world-class players there who he's compromising their abilities by shoehorning them into different positions so he can fit his favourite player into another position, in, into his preferred position. But what he's done with Kante to accommodate Jorginho, who from what I've seen, isn't justifying doing that. Um, you know, far be it for me to question a, football, a, a successful football manager, a reasonably successful, but I don't get it. It just seems so odd to me. Um, and so we know so how just beat them 6-0, the, the point is, being that he won't, he's not going to approach the game in a, in a particularly different way. He's not going to have seen City rattle six goals past them and, and suddenly put 10 men behind the ball, is he? Well, I was going to say, in, in that sense, I'm getting the feeling that, that ultimately for a cup final, when you know City fans going into cup finals generally are going, oh, it's actually, I'm quite nervous about this one. I'm not getting that feeling from you. I feel like I did about Arsenal last year, where I do still have that thought of, of course it's a cup final. Of course he could come out with a bit between the teeth. Um, you never know what might happen on a bad day. Um, there's a few, I'm sure we'll touch on it, some team selection issues that, that could sway the game if, if Pep gets them wrong. Um, but ultimately, I'm confident that City are a far, far superior side to Chelsea. But that said, Chelsea have already beaten a City side this season that were in very impressive form at the time of that defeat. So I'm not taking it as, as a not given. Not taking it as Yeah. Yeah, that was a prime example of Sarri Ball kind of working that day, though, wasn't it? Uh, N'Golo Kante scored. I think Hazard had two assists, didn't he? Um, it was it was a game that just pre- pretty much was the dogmatic style of Sarri coming out in force against the dogmatic style of uh, of Guardiola. But we had a with a half fit. Was De Bruyne even back then? Um, I don't think he played. Yeah, we'd. Um, we had all sorts of uh, injury issues. The, the city now is a different beast, basically, is what I'm trying to say. When you look at, uh, at City's record at the new Wembley, 13 games played there, nine wins, one of them on penalties. I, I mean, first off, you would say, well, you know what, they've they've got a good record there. Second off, you then start looking at the opposition. And actually, they keep playing quite good opposition there as well. They've got a good record against good teams. Finals usually will be, really, won't they? Um, if, if, both, if you've both earned the right to be there in a knockout phase and you're the best two in the last two... Um, so yeah, usually we'll be up against uh, stern opposition. They just seem to have um, have managed the games just really, really well. Always, um, obviously not the Wigan game, um, <laughs> but Wigan are a big side in in, uh, in, in cup competitions. Um, yeah, and but and the Liverpool game, I think we conceded in the eighty second minute or something like that, wasn't it? So we obviously didn't manage that too uh, too well. But beating Liverpool at the end is no mean feat, really, is it? Even if it was on penalties. Um, but yeah, no City just. 
I think after all those years in the darkness of never having a chance of getting anywhere near Wembley apart from in uh, playoff finals and, and that sort of ilk uh, getting there to win some real silverware from being amongst the top clubs in the country they still uh, seem to it's like a, it's still like kids at Christmas that's aren't it they? exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, well I'll tell you what let's have a quick quiz about the, <laughs> uh, about City's record at the new Wembley oh dear it's a quiz on City's record at the new Wembley so then six questions three each you get to pick a number and uh, and get the question behind it you know the format of the quizzes on here now uh, Kieran um, would you like to go first or second uh, first please uh, incorrect Richard uh, pick a number <laughs> Five. Number five. Uh, including Community Shields, how many trophies have City lifted at the new Wembley? Um, how long have I got? Ah, you can have a few minutes because I can edit it down. Okay, <laughs> FA Cup v Stoke. League Cup v Sunderland. My time. <laughs> League Cup v Liverpool. Oh, God. Four League Cups and FA And what, two Community Shields? Seven. Seven, you're saying? It's, uh, it's vastly overestimated how many trophies they've lifted there. They've lifted five. One FA Cup, three League Cups, and one Community Shield, because the other one was lifted at Villa Park. I was thinking that they'd won two. I, do you know what? I counted for that. That's, I've credited us with an extra Community Shield because I knew that that was the little trick in it. And I've also <laughs> fallen into the trap of thinking we've already won Sunday's game. Yep. yep. I didn't fall for the Community Shield one. I've just imagined another one that we won. Amazing. Kieran, um, can you get off the mark and take the lead? What number would you like? Three, please. Uh, question number three. Who's City's leading scorer at the new Wembley? Aguero. Spot on. One point. Scored five goals there. Yaya Torre scored three. Sami Nasri scored two. Richard, chance to respond? One. Question one. Who were the first team to open the scoring in a game against City at the new Wembley? That's a good question. Wigan. It is Wigan. Oof. 1-1 one, one on, uh, on the quiz. But, Kieran, you've, uh, you've got a question in hand. So, uh, so what would you like? Four, please. Question number four. Who scored City's most recent goal at the new Wembley? Oh. Bernardo Silva. No. No no points on offer, oh, but... Uh, no, no, no. It's, oh, shh. It's against Spurs, isn't it? It is. Oh. Ah. That's dirt. Real Mares. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't filth. even considered that. I was trying to remember the score from this year's Community Shield. Yeah, no, so it was uh, Riyad Mahrez in the Premier League. So you got to, got to be on your toes with the quizzes, uh, Richard. Spurs. Six. Question number six. Who was the last City player to score a penalty at Wembley? Oh, man. Oh, uh, Gundogan. It was Ilkay Gundogan, uh, Spurs 1, City 3, 2018. Kieran, that leaves you with question two, and you need this to tie. Which team of City faced most at the new Wembley? I'm just wondering whether you've done that top, that Spurs thing again. No, it, this one's just dawned on me. Um, Arsenal. It is Arsenal 2-2. It finishes. Arsenal, they've played there three times. United, Chelsea and Tottenham, they've faced there twice. Is it just a draw, is it? So it finishes a draw, yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a penalty shootout, I'm afraid. But uh, but well done, everyone. I think, I, think, I think quizzing was the winner there. Good questions, David. Well <laughs> done to you, too. You should do it at uh, odd numbers, though, in my opinion. So there's a tiebreak. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dale. <laughs> Sorry, I told Peter on your boys, why don't you? <laughs> 
You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Now, uh, one one question that Guardiola has to answer uh, for this coming game. He's he pretty much answered it already, I think. But, uh, but you know, the, the debate rages on every time City gets to the League Cup final. Who plays in goal? Should it be Edison or should it be Murich, who's played the uh, the entirety of the cup competition so far? Uh, we asked you guys on Twitter. Edison got uh, 56% of the poll and uh, Murich got 44% over, uh, over just over 1,200 votes. So... I mean, City fans quite split down the middle with this one. Where do you, where do you two lie? I one million percent thought Ederson, but then I accidentally voted for Murich on your poll. <laughs> uh, so, so, so you think Murich? 50-50, yeah. <laughs> it would make logical sense, I think, to start with Ederson. Um, his performances lately, not just from his distribution sense which is what we mostly can kind of associate with oddly as uh, even though he's a goalkeeper and he's some, made some pretty good saves recently but some, yeah. of the, but some of the saves he's been making recently have just been great um, last night as well when the way he stuck up for Zinchenko just shows what <laughs> it means to him uh, he's such a passionate fired up player and a real leader on the pitch he's becoming um, I just don't know against a team like Chelsea with the um, well let's take it back to two Sundays ago uh, Higuain was some of the efforts that he had against Ederson and Ederson just like dealt really well with all of them. I don't know whether a, a, an aged veteran such as Higuain uh, against a kid like Murich, whether I would really have the faith in him and whether the back four would have the faith in him as well. So I think Ederson... Well, Richard, before we come to you, I'm just going to run through some of the uh, some of the opinions from Twitter. Josh Cannon says, started Bravo last year against Arsenal after trusting him the whole cup competition, and that turned out well, so it's hard to argue against that. David Blythe says, what's going on? Pantillamon, Caballero, Bravo, all winners. Why on earth wouldn't it be Murich? We swapped goalkeeper for the FA Cup final once, though I'm not superstitious in the slightest. Mike Cook adds, uh, got to start with F- Murich and Foden, otherwise it sends out a terrible message to the young lads who got us there. Garcia should be on the bench as well. Stuart Carroll adds Edison all day long. At the end of the day, we've played nobody of great note on the way to this final. This is where we need experienced players to win it for us. And MCFC McKenna says Murich got us there and has done nothing to warrant being dropped. He's earned his spot for the cup final, FA Cup, League and Champions League, then stick with Edison there. Uh, Richard, which which way do you fall on this one? Um Murich for me. Mm. Um and I'm sort of quite clear on it. Like normally, I've in other years, I've not been as made up. Um, I, I I sort of alter my mind quite a lot on what should happen in cup finals. There is a difference though between the way Murich has played and the way Caballero and Bravo yeah. were playing in those seasons. Yeah. Um, the only thing, I to me, the only difference between or, or the only factor for not putting Murich in um, is his age and experience and it's a fair point it's a it is a fair consideration but he's the 20 year old who had the um who had the bottle to save the penalties at Leicester yeah. in a quarter final so i realize that's different to decision making in open play and should i come should i go and how those decisions might be affected by nerves or um you know, a different quality of player. Um, it, all Brighton scored a cracking goal against him, but with the best will in the world, having Higuain or Hazard bearing down at you is different to having Mark Albrighton bearing down at you. You've probably got a different expectation of what that player can do with the ball at his feet. Might affect your decision-making. Edison would probably be more assured in that scenario. But if you're letting the young lad say play in a penalty shootout, if you're letting him do that and he delivers the goods and then you take him out for a final, I do agree with um, the tweets that said it, it doesn't really send a great message. Now, equally, 
the message shouldn't be the define the deciding factor if if the decision was that we have a much, much better chance of winning this cup with Edison in net, it's hopeless with Murich in, Murich in net, then you can't just say, well, yeah, but he played some games to get us there. You have to make the best decision for the team. But I do think with what City are capable of doing on the pitch, with how much we generally keep the ball away from the goalkeepers, he's shown enough about him that, yes, he can make saves. He can do, not to Edison's ability yet, but he can do the bit with his feet. And... If players have to earn a right to play on a big stage, he's done it. He's done it in this cup. And it's not his fault that we got drawn against Oxford or Burton. Pep would have played him if we'd have been drawn against United and Arsenal in those games. It's not his fault that we got a, a more favourable draw. If he's made the decision that he's his League Cup keeper, then you've got to let him play the League Cup. Then he'll stick with it as well. Um, Kieran, City have never defended a trophy in their entire history. Does, does that, <laughs> does it, A, does it disappoint you a little bit that it might be the League Cup that's the first one when you when you wanted it to be the Premier League or, yeah. or something else? And, and, and B, you know, does it add any more pressure to this game? No, I don't think so. Um, because, I, well, I didn't know about it. So I, as a fan, I didn't think there was um, much pressure. No, I do. Thanks, David. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't think the players will think that way, will they? Um, the pressure's on automatically by being at Wembley in a final. I think that's all the pressure they they, they really need uh, when you're up against another team from the big six. Um, you you know you've got fight in your in your belly anyway, don't you? Um, I don't really think oh, defending it. It's an interesting one that because defending the Premier League is a different idea altogether because um, you've got those 38 games in the season and... And nobody's done it in a decade. That's it, yeah. Once you're at the top of the mountain, it's hard to stay at the top of the mountain. You you might be be a little bit complacent. But knockout football is different, isn't it? Um, And the draw has been really favourable to us. The only worry probably would be that um, it's kind of the opposite to the way that the League Cup has gone this season and that it's kind of been smaller teams, lesser clubs... Um, you know, even in, in lower leagues, uh, and now we've got Chelsea. All of a sudden, you know, it's a it's a it's a huge contest. Uh, so pressure might be: can we rise to it as opposed to um, will we falter? Does that make sense? I, I get what you mean. Yeah, I mean, one final question on that: it's the second game of the day. United Liverpool is is the first game. How much of of City's atmosphere is going to be dependent on whether Liverpool get a result or not against United? Which is it's it's completely balmy to have that discussion because yeah. it's a cup final. Yeah, the last time I was at Wembley, I remember that smell in the air of, of it was like a festival, um, and it was just it was a really festive party atmosphere there for the League Cup. Um, I hope, because say I, say Liverpool go to Old Trafford and win three yeah. 0 does that kill the the the, the mood? N- no, I don't think so because um, we'll just be like, oh, like we'll we'll we'll. Um, We'll fight that another day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll park. This is what the word I'm looking for. We'll park that. We'll park the Premier League, and we'll get back to it next week uh, or later on in the week, as it will be. Um, and we'll just focus on the League Cup for now. If, however, but the worry is here that I'm um, concerned. I'm going to sound like I'm celebrating a Man United win. Um, <laughs> but if Liverpool lose, then we can think. Hey, oh, hello. Yeah, we can again. We'll park it for a moment, but uh, you know. Um, it's given us a little bit of uh, it's going opportunity, opportunity yeah. yeah. Opportunity knocks a little bit there. Now then, um, it's it's Pellegrini week because we've got the Pellegrini Ooh. Cup final first, and then uh, <laughs> then Pellegrini's uh, returning to the Etihad with West Ham in the midweek. Uh, how how troublesome do you expect them to be, Richard? Given how they played against Liverpool, well, 
They're a very odd team, aren't they? They've had some absolutely atrocious performances. You think back at the start of the season, Liverpool battered them 4-0 on the open day, but in hindsight, you give a little bit of a pass, Liverpool have proven themselves to be a pretty exceptional team. Um, and first game under a new manager. Um, on the, the other hand, they were soundly beaten by City at the London Stadium. But they've beaten Arsenal, they've um, pulled off a very creditable result against Liverpool. So I'm not sure you ever quite know which West Ham you're going to get. Um, but I do think them coming to the Etihad is very different to um, to them taking points off Liverpool at home. I think we know that the Etihad has proven itself over many years now, but particularly last season and this season it is typically a very, very difficult place for teams to come. Um, City are, I was going to say they're at home at the Etihad, they literally are, but you know what I mean, they're (laughs) particularly comfortable there. Um, And a lot of times teams are beaten before they go onto the pitch. Um, And in Pellegrini's last season, that seemed to be his experience as well, walking onto the Etihad (laughs) pitch quite a lot of the time, so hopefully that carries over again. Definitely. Um, Kieran, Nazari's expected to be back, obviously Zabaleta's there as well. There's plenty of City links with, uh, with West Ham. West Ham Chester City is West Ham Chester City. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been brewing that one for a while, or did it just come like that? No, it's just the, the uh, Man City West Ham brotherhood that everybody seems to think exists, <laughs> yeah. but really doesn't. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's nice to have. Um, it's nice to have a few links. It's nice to see a few of my old favourites again. Zabaleta, one of my favourite ever ever City players, uh, and it'll nice. It'll be nice to see him back. Uh, Nasri is one of those players who I thought left too soon. Uh, but I mean, Pellegrini really, really impressed me a couple of weeks ago in his um, in his comments and his attitude towards playing Liverpool. Um, so hopefully the boys just uh, roll over and die. Thing. <laughs> roll over, yeah. Um, Pellegrini die again. It's it, it's funny because you, with those City links, you, you think back to that QPR game on the final day of, of 2012, and QPR came back with Joey Barton, with Neda Manua, with Sean, Sean Wright Ray, Phillips yeah, in the yeah. team. And I mean that obviously was was the final day of the season, and and it was one result needed. You know, if you need a result to turn around a, a title race, and some ex City players are on the pitch, it'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Which one do you think is going to go full Joey Barton though and start trying to nut Aguero and take Nasri, on company? Nasri, yeah. Nasri had a had a streak about him. Yeah, he did. Fair point. He did. Um, final question on the title race: How key will will City's experience in a title race be the be in the coming weeks, Richard? I, I don't think you can overlook it. I think City have got a as proven a track record as anybody will ever have of coming back from behind in title races. Um, the gap is so small now as to be... Well, at the moment it isn't a gap, is it? But allowing for that game in hand. At this stage, it's so small as to be negligible. Um, as long as it's within one game, I'll be quite comfortable with City's chances of winning it. If it were to get four points or more, I would start to think with Liverpool's form, then that begins to look very, very difficult again. Um, but yeah, If it gets it, less than three points? Oh, if it, if it gets to less than three points on level games, then... Do you know what? If Liverpool see it out from there, then fair play, because that will be a serious, serious test of bottle. Um, yeah, City have been there, they've done it. They've won titles. The Last season, we know that we were the best team in the country. There's nothing yet to say that we're not still the best team in the country. There's nothing to say that over 38 games, we won't prove that to be true. Um, and yeah, we've, we've still got the spine of a team that have been there and done it from behind in yeah. very, very fraught, very tense scenarios when they did have the pressure of the club weren't used to winning trophies. Now we've, this is a, 
even though some years it's just the League Cup, we've still got a consistent pattern of trophy winning, um, even in our bad seasons. So, yeah, I think we've got a lot to fall back on. Even the two years recently where we've had disastrous title attempts, where we've had to scrape top four, we've still done it on the last day. They were still tests of nerve. It's mm-hmm. not quite the same thing, but they still had to prove themselves on the last day that... Um, that they can achieve something. So, especially when it goes right down to the wire. Just kind of something struck me. What you when you were talking there is um, those um, the winter fixture congestions sort of out of the way. I always sort of consider springtime. Uh, you know, when it's around the corner, so, suddenly everything seems fresher again, and we have a, a few a, a bit more time um, between games and things like that. And I just think those are the times when City could really be at it, um, and when Guardiola can really be at himself to to put together. Some, um, yeah, kind some, of some winning runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll finish that for you. Don't okay. worry. Um, now the total money raised on the charity bet this season stands at seven hundred and eighty-three pounds. We got two chances to increase it this week as City take on Chelsea and West Ham. William Hill is giving each member of the team a ten-pound correct score single, and the winnings are going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. I never start with me on the uh, charity bet, so I'm going to I'm going to do that this week. I've gone for two-one against Chelsea, which is thirteen to two and sixty-five pounds, and three-nil against West Ham, which is uh, five to one and fifty pounds. Uh, Kieran, what are you having for uh, for Chelsea? Uh, I've gone three one. Three one is eleven to one, so hundred and ten pounds if you're right. And for West Ham, uh, I've gone for two one. I just think um, after the after the sort of boggy pitch of of Newport, uh, pitch Schalke, big pitch Wembley, maybe um, a few bubbly uh, hangovers if we lift the trophy. It could be a touchy game against West Ham, so I've gone for two one. Ten to one, so a hundred pounds if you're right, Richard for uh, for Chelsea. Um, I'm going for. Far too optimistic at 4-0 City. Bold choice is 20-1. to 1, So, uh, fingers crossed for 4-0. I'm not going to lie. 200 quid. Uh, and uh, West Ham? Um, 2-0 City. I can see that being a lot closer. Another tight game. 2-0 is 6-1, to 1, which is £60. Don't forget, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now, some people have been upset at City's so-called easy cup runs this season. Here's Howard Hawkins' take on all of that. sign that City have arrived, that we're one of the big boys now, whatever rival fans say now. Yep, if you ever wonder why David Gill used to jet over to Monaco to watch a cup draw he could have watched in bed, which is what I'd have done, or why Cheeky does now, then it's all become clear. One quiet word from Cheeky and it's Schalke in the knockout round. A personal call from Pep, asking Darren Fletcher if he is well, and before he can say microwave ping, it's Swansea in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. We've arrived. Our balls are warmed, not cooled. There's no stopping us now. We're Manchester City. We'll play who we want. OK, that may well be a tad tongue-in-cheek. After all, I gladly travelled to Monaco for the opening of envelope. But have City really been lucky in draws? Well, that depends on how far you spread the net. In the FA Cup, the draws certainly opened up for those left in it. One of the key factors was teams like Liverpool not prioritising the competition. Klopp's record in the competition is poor, which is hardly City's fault if they keep getting themselves knocked out. Another big factor is not so much City's good fortune, but other teams' bad fortune. 
namely big teams meeting each other, which was statistically unlikely, meaning of course one of them had to be knocked out. United have thus done for Arsenal and Chelsea. It's harder for City to get a tough draw when the draw is weak. In previous seasons, luck has been average and nothing that stands out. After all, if we look back further, our three semi-finals this decade have been against United, Chelsea and Arsenal. Since City last won the FA Cup prior to this season, they have had 12 of their 24 ties against Premier League opposition and none against a team outside the top two divisions. In that time, in both the domestic cups, it's 30 Premier League opponents in 48 ties. In percentage terms, we're second of the top six, a slither behind United, in the percentage of other top six teams drawn in cup competitions. Remember that in the third round, there are 63 other teams in the competition still, so the law of averages states that you should avoid a Premier League team in at least two in every three years in that third round, and the odds are still in your favour in the fourth round. Of course, a tiresome conspiracy theorist would have you believe that even a tie against a mid-table Premier League team is still some sort of fix. We all remember, of course, a long run of away ties City received in cup competitions, even if this season has been kinder than most. Before this season, only seven ties in the last 23 of the two domestic cups haven't been against Premier League sides, and only one of them was against a team outside the top two divisions, Wigan, who were top of the third tier at the time, and of course have a powerful spell over us. Right now, United have had a tougher run in the FA Cup than City, but it would need a recency bias to say we've been lucky for a while. And then there's the Champions League. Funny isn't it that City got a better draw by being champions, as per the rule change of over four years ago. Win the league, Liverpool fans, and you should too, because you're guaranteed being in pot one, not three. Funny too that City got an easy draw by winning their group. Maybe Liverpool should have tried that too. After all, it worked for them last season, winning 5-0 in Porto. Less so for Jose Mourinho's United against Sevilla, but, you know, Jose Mourinho. Now, you may not think these rules are fair, though they're fairer than the older ones, but again, that's nothing to do with City. It's favoured plenty of other sides, and gone against them as well. Of course, the likes of United would much rather have a seeding based on historical data, so that they are assured top seeding even if they do finish behind City in the league six seasons on their own. But this new system is fairer for me, and is not for City to defend anyway. It can't always ensure the top eight teams in Europe are in pot one, as sometimes two of the eight are in the same league, but it's fairer than relying on ancient history. Should City get past Schalke, there will be no easy draws left to have anyway, I would imagine. As for just this season, it has been a fairly kind run in luck in the draws in cup competitions. There's no doubt in that, even after we take into consideration the options that were available, seedings and more. The standout piece of luck was probably drawing Burton in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup, well, City would have been clear favourites, whoever they drew. Still, I wasn't complaining. Earlier in the competition, it sometimes matters little whether you draw a big team or not, considering the weak lineups picked by the big boys season after season. City have been adept at just doing enough to be successful in this tournament. Let's hope that trend continues at the weekend. So in conclusion, City have had some luck recently, but over time it's been nothing more than average. The key piece of luck may not be the favourable draws, but the timing of them. City would not win the quadruple, you can take that as red from me, but whilst they continue to fight on four fronts, or soon on three, every favourable draw is a bonus as it helps keep the squad fresher than a run of tough games. When the season ends, that may be the key factor for Pep's Centurions.
Hello, I'm Mike Richards. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. Send your questions in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. That's exactly how Ben Aspinall has got in touch. He asks, given Pep's comments regarding Mares, are City now going to struggle to attract the bigger names given they could potentially do nothing wrong and not be included in the squad for weeks and weeks? And just before I get your answer, we're going to uh, going to hear what Pep Guardiola had to say about Mahrez's absence recently, asked uh, by Gold.com's Samley. Is there any particular reason why Riyad Mahrez hasn't started a Premier League game since the Southampton game yeah. at the end of December? I have a reason. Are you willing to share that reason with no, us? My reason. So I am the reason. Okay. I am the reason. <laughs> he's not he's not absolutely guilty, or or he ha- he doesn't feel. Any special reason why? So I'm, I'm I'm sad because he's trained incredible. He's an incredible talent player. But in that moment, sort of how incredible five strength, for example, last games don't play Leroy. So we have an incredible players like, for example, Bernardo Rice in a top top form, and that is only the reason why. It's not not particular situation upset or, or something like that. It's a guy. Uh, we're happy that unfortunately I'm not so I'm not kind with him in the fact so I cannot let them more minutes than we deserve so I'm sorry only I can say so I suppose for him that's a reflection of the step up in quality I suppose because if he's still playing and training yeah. really well but the other guys are just slightly better in your mind I suppose that's something new for him to no, adapt but to I, I am unfair in the fact in, in the fact that you had played the minutes I played the other ones would have been the top level that the players are going to play they are playing so it's not easy for one guy who would not play regularly come and play in a high, high level. He has a level, but give him five, six games in a row playing, he's going to play the level of Sterling, the playing from Bernardo or the players they play. Because in two months when we play four or five games in a row, he was incredible and standing. So I don't have any doubt about his quality, just to keep going. So no complaining too much, move forward, fight more and more and more and more. His time is coming. Is coming and, and and I'm pretty sure he's going to play good. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. Guardiola speaking about Mares's absence. I mean, it's it's a fair point, isn't it, Richard? That if if you know if if Mares has done nothing wrong and he's not been included, why would players go? Well, actually, I might I might not play for weeks. Yeah, I mean, sit here in. Uh, uh, pleasantly difficult situation with transfers in that position because um, this has been touched on recently on the show and forgive me I can't remember by who but if you've got players as good as Sané and Sterling and Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne you have to have backup to them you have to and those backups have to be good players so they're going they're going to cost a lot but those players are almost certainly not going to be as good as those four because they are exceptional players. We are so fortunate, isn't the right word, because we've scouted and bought those players and paid legitimately. A lot of money for them. Yeah, yeah. But it is there are not many clubs managed to put four players like that together. Um, obviously, you include David Silver in that, who is coming a bit more towards the end of his career than those players who are perhaps not even in the prime yet. Um, but he's still exceptionally gifted. Um, it's really hard for somebody to come in who can match them consistently for quality. And I think Guardiola is right when he says that 
if Mares plays more over a period of time, he'll show that quality. But who are you taking out for six or seven games? Or which six or seven games are you playing where you don't want those four on the pitch? Or where if you want to take one of them out, David Silver isn't the player that comes in? In what situation is that happening? So we've essentially... I like Mares. I like him a lot. I said at the start of the season that I thought he would thrive in this City team. I think there's been evidence of that. But now he's he's back into that routine that he had at the start of the season where he just looks desperate to impress. I think it's affecting his decision-making. Um, that, in turn, is affecting how supporters feel about him. And he is on the verge of being scapegoated now for, I mean, quite apart from the obvious scapegoat moment of the season, missing the penalty at Anfield, which um, it could be huge in the season. I think on a game-by-game basis now when he plays, you hear it around you in the stands. I know you've commented on, on similar. Um, so people are ready for him to make a mistake. People aren't actually quite judging him what he does anymore. They're judging him against their own perception of a overrated £60 million player. It's not his fault that we have to fork out a lot of money for squad players. He could be a very, very good City player, but the, just the competition ahead of him is so good. But we can't not go and spend the money to back up those players because otherwise you're going to have a massive, massive drop-off in quality. I think so, what I think what I don't like about the attitude towards him is there's there's this that since he's arrived at City, there feels like there's been a lot of fans who have been consistently. Um, kind of overanalyzing absolutely everything he does in comparison to that, that you don't get with other players. I mean, Raheem Sterling got this to an extent in his first season, but then he, you know, his, his second and third seasons were were, were were so good that it just, yeah. you know, you you can't really take away from him. But when you look at someone like Mares, I feel like there's a that there's a big presence among City fans in on social media in the ground, just consistently watching him and going, well. I think he's going to mis- make a mistake here, and whatever he does, mm. if he if he crosses the ball into a dangerous area, but there's nobody there, or nobody, or no, or the the head has missed, or it's it, it, or somebody doesn't quite make the right the right run, but the ball was a, a brilliant ball into the right place, still Mahrez's fault, and that I, that doesn't sit quite comfortably with me. And I think for a player that's been at, at the club for six months, I, I really don't think you can write him off yet. Well, I'll pick up with something that you just said there. Um, is that Sterling got it in his first season, but in his second and third. So, all, all he needs is time, isn't it, really? Um, to be written off six months in. I think what Richard said about his miss at Anfield, he'll always have that um he'll always have that sort of chain around his uh, around his ankle a little bit and he'll always be attached to that, especially if it proves uh really, really costly in the title run. And um but no, Bernardo didn't get a particularly easy start either in terms of he had a he had a bite his time. Uh Sane I don't remember too many people questioning Bernardo though, that's the difference. Yeah. I I, I know what you mean. I think <clears throat> it's funny because Bernardo Silva almost um, by way of his second name was almost seen as an heir to David's <laughs> throne really so people were willing to have a little patience with him so if you, um, so what you're saying is if he'd been called Riyad Silva we wouldn't yeah, be having this exactly, discussion yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah for for some reason it seems to be that um, yeah there's a little bit more patience afforded to maybe um, Bernardo for that reason uh, Foden because he's uh, a young man I think Mares because he was player of the season in 2016 has won the title elsewhere and came with a £60 million tag is the record signing signing. Um, we're going to want to see instant results but how can you get instant results if he's not playing because the people in front of him he's he's just in a very difficult dilemma of a situation really isn't he Riyadh where do you see it going do you see him do you see him being a big part of this team I do do, but um, I think it depends on him as well as Pep Pep very graciously sort of like held his hands up and admitted uh, yeah I'm the reason it's my fault but 
he must be saying something in training that isn't he, he isn't um, happy with, or or else it's just that the other boys around them or um, are just playing so well. Playing so well, but he he just needs to seize his opportunity when it does come um, in the in the cups. I mean, do you know what his stats, lads? Are sound. He's got ten goals and 10, 10 assists for somebody who's not playing that much. If if he bunkers down and sticks with it uh, and impresses Guardiola and yeah waits around, I I could see, yeah I absolutely do see him being a really important and integral part of the team. Right, well, fingers crossed he's part of the team on Sunday and in, uh, is an integral part of a cup win because that would mean we're talking about City's first successful defence of a trophy on next week's show. If you'd like a little bit more bonus podcasts to listen to, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast where we'll be discussing City's recent League Cup finals. That's available for $2 a month and for that you'll also get regular blogs by both me and Richard Burns. Richard, what are you brewing at the moment? What are, you, what are we going to see from you soon? I'm glad we haven't touched on it in the show because it's going to sound ludicrous um, and I don't want to put people off reading it. I'm going to write about why, yes, the quadruple is on. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you'll have that up before Sunday, just in <laughs> yeah, case. Yeah. Uh, time's also running out if you want to sign up for the Patreon rewards of mugs, bottle openers or badges. Those tiers will close at the end of February and are not going to exist after this season. That's because we're changing the Patreon rewards for next season with the emphasis instead on digital rewards. It means you could appear on the weekly bonus podcast as well. There's more details of that posted to our Twitter account, at Blue Moon Podcast. As ever, a special thanks to my two guests this week, Richard Burns. Thank you, David. And Kieran Murray. Thank you, David. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, listeners. I'm David Mooney, and we'll be right here next week to review the League Cup final and the Premier League tight with West Ham. See you then. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast